Welcome to Genuine Humans, exploring the stories behind the great marketing leaders of our time and hearing how their journeys have influenced the brands they've built. Brought to you by The Social Element, here are our hosts, Tamara Littleton, CEO and founder, and Wendy Christie, Chief People Officer. Welcome back to Genuine Humans podcast. And as always, I'm joined by Wendy Christie, our lovely co-host. How are you doing, Wendy? Hey, Tamara. Yeah, really well, thank you. I'm kind of on tender hooks because my daughter-in-law has a baby due in um, in just a couple of weeks, but I've got really funny feeling about okay. today. So I'm a little bit kind of, oh, don't look at my phone, don't look at my phone. <laughs> but yeah, great. That is exciting. Well, that's definitely not happening for me. But what's going on for me is that um, I said, you know what, I am excited. I'm, I'm going to take some time off. And and I think it's always good to sort of talk about sort of taking care of yourself as a, a founder and and taking a holiday. I'm actually going to have a little time off my mobile phone, a whole week off my mobile phone. I'm kind of going to see wow. how, how much I can do it, but I'll be, uh, yeah, fingers crossed for me. <laughs> you can totally do it. So we are joined today by... Helen Tupper, and I am so pleased to have Helen on the podcast. Helen is the co-founder and CEO of Amazing If, and the author of The Squiggly Career, which is brilliant, and the host of The Squiggly Career podcast, which if you're not already listening to, you have to listen to it. Uh, Welcome to the podcast, Helen. Thank you both. I'm delighted to be here. So Helen, I'd love to know, just, well, actually, would you mind sort of sharing a bit more about Amazing If and, and what you do? But then, stealing your own phrase, tell us about your own squiggly career and and how you got to to where you are now. Yeah, of course. Um, I'll start with Amazing If, which is my favourite thing. So Amazing If started as a side project about 10 years ago. Uh, I was working at Virgin and I think there must have just been something in the water. Because whilst I was at Virgin, I had my first child and I started an MBA and I started a side project as well as doing my job. So there must have just been something in there about starting stuff. And I had always known like since university that I was really passionate about learning and just like, honestly, just a bit of a geek about work. And um, and I found a fellow geek, which was someone I'd gone to university with, uh, um, Sarah Ellis. And whilst I was at Virgin, she was at Sainsbury's as head of CSR there. And we just decided that we would come together with this sort of shared passion about people and careers and learning. And we would like create something together that could help people and so we we sat down in Paddington in 2012 when we had the conversation and we ended up sort of drawing this squiggly sort of symbol on a on a napkin very stereotypical and said you know careers look a bit like this it's quite messy people need help with this but so often that help is limited by level you know if you're if you're super senior you get given a coach for example but everybody else you've got to find your own way there and that's hard So we said, well, let's help. Let's try and help everybody. We won't make it about level. We'll sort of democratize development. We'll help everyone succeed in these squiggly careers because wouldn't that be amazing if that was the way it worked? And so that's yeah, that started these sessions in in London. We used to hire out this room at Adam Street, this old members club. Oh God, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. do you remember it? Do you remember it? I do. Yeah. <laughs> 
We used to go there. It was £250 a night and the tickets were £50 each. So we worked out if we sold five tickets, we'd break even and then we could just give the rest of the places away to people that we wanted to help. And so sometimes there would literally just be five people in a room and then it was a very intimate session. We'd take all of the chairs and just put them into a small circle very, very quickly. (laughs) And sometimes there would be 50 people in a room and, you know, the energy was really different. But for a long time, that's all it was. It was twice a month, me and Sarah running there after work we would meet at Cafe Nero try and clear the busyness of Virgin and and Sainsbury's and get our heads into the amazing if space but then it just started to grow over time we started to do that work in companies we do these career development days rather than just a 90 minute session and I had to use my holiday to do that and then it became the podcast in 2017 um, and then the the first book we got approached by penguin 2018 to write our first book and and then it just got bigger and bigger and i left my last corporate roles as a marketing director at microsoft in 2018 to sort of work out could i turn this passion project into a new profession and it was a question i, I actually didn't know if i i didn't know if i could but i thought you know what i want i sort of want to give it a go and i also don't think i can keep spinning all these plates anyway like there were two kids yeah. there mm-hmm. and you know a, quite a big job at microsoft and other stuff going on in life so we've got to give it a go and I did and have not looked back since and squiggly has grown and the business has grown and I think I I have definitely grown as a, as a result of doing that as well that is fantastic and and it's kind of it's one of those moments that you just you have to give it a go because there's the you know you'll you'll never know so I'm so pleased that that you did and would you mind going backwards a little bit more sort of like give a sort of a sense of the um the early career of uh, of of Helen Topper and and the sort of different uh, route that you took. Yeah, of course. So I think that I, I when my career started, probably when I was at university, which is where I met Sarah, because we did this really weird degree that was quite small. Only twenty people on our degree, so it's quite a small cohort of people. It was called the, it was called Babham BA Business Management, and um, you the first year at university in Nottingham was like full time. So I had all these friends in other universities that were like doing two hours a day, something like that, and we were in at nine and going home at four thirty five, and so because they were basically trying to cram as much of the academic stuff into the first year because the following two years were full-time in a company and you did your degree in your own time. And it was, it was like real life because you, if you didn't get a job with one of those companies at the end of the first year, you couldn't continue the degree. They'd basically, you know, you'd have to go on a different program. So you had to go for an interview. Like I went for interviews with Rolls Royce and Toyota and Coors and Boots. And if they offered you a place basically onto their graduate scheme two years early, you could stay on the program. And if you didn't, you you know, you, you left. It was quite, it was quite hard. It was quite competitive. My business partner describes it. Um, she, we have different recollections at that time. Like I loved it. <laughs> it was brilliant. <laughs> I felt like a grown up. I think I'd wanted to be grown up for so long and that gave me the opportunity but Sarah describes it as like a really bad version of The Apprentice <laughs> that, was, that was what was going on in my head was about The Apprentice actually yeah. Yeah. so you know less enjoyment I would say for the experience but we both we both went through it and um, we both actually went toes to go to Boots and uh, worked at Boots head office and did loads of different things there. Uh, everything from uh, I did like a six month job in Trends, which I loved because they gave me money to spend on beauty products. And I got to travel like 
brilliant job through to six months in a store in Mansfield which I liked a bit less because I mainly had to deal with shoplifters at the end of the day and I was like this, uh, yeah, yeah less less <laughs> nice I was, I was 19 trying to you know manage this store that I had no idea what I was doing in all honesty but was given the opportunity to give it a go and yeah so from from there I spent a bit of time in FMCG so my mum had always worked in sales my mum had always worked so I'd always had this sort of female working figure she'd always worked and she'd always worked in sales in different companies um, and I would go with her to work and she would drive around drive around the country and during my summer holidays I would go with her and I would go to the different places that she was she uh, kind of sold china and I would go you know into those shops and wait and watch her doing these meetings in a suit because so that was always my kind of concept of work was that you know my mum went to work and I, I was familiar with sales and so when I left Boots, I did go into sales for the first sort of four or five years of my career. Uh, very glamorous. I sold soft drinks in the Midlands. I think I was very persuaded to do that first job because it came with a car. So I'd be like driving around <laughs> passion carries, but in a BMW. So I was like, and wearing a suit, I hope. <laughs> yeah, wearing a suit, selling Pepsi. I unfortunately once dropped a pallet of Pepsi onto a colleague's foot and broke her toe, which was not uh, not a highlight. Oh no! Yeah, yeah, it was really, it was really bad, <laughs> really bad, Wendy. I still feel quite guilty about that. Sorry, Jenny. And then I went to work at Procter and Gamble. Uh, so I moved from sort of of Pepsi and Fanta to Flash and Pringles uh, and did that for a while. And then I I think I decided that whilst there, there were lots of things I loved about sales, so the building relationships, I liked the achievement of sales, but I felt like I wanted to do the bit before the sale, like the design of the products, the customer insight, the strategy. Like I was sort of constantly frustrated that I wasn't doing the bit before that. And so that was when I moved into marketing initially in, in financial services for a company called Capital One. I uh, did sort of innovation and branding and, and different things. Uh, and then I went to work in the energy industry. So it gets really squiggly now. Uh, I went to work <laughs> in the energy industry on this amazing innovation team called um, uh, Ignite, where we got to launch loads of new products and services, like very freeing, very liberating, largely because my manager created the culture where that was possible to happen there. He was a brilliant guy called Phil. And then I went from there into BP because I wanted to do a global job. My Most of my roles up until that point had all been in, in the UK, but more and more, more and more in marketing. And then from BP to Virgin, from Virgin to Microsoft. And then sort of, you know, that 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 point in 2018 that took me to where I am today. It's funny, though, because that, that is a lot that, that you've done. And it's so many different things. But if you were to sort of pull back and think, you know, what you're doing now, I'm going to presume that all of that different experience has made you just so good at what you do now as well. I think, I don't know, I think I've got a lot of improvement to be honest tomorrow, but <laughs> I think, do you know what it taught me? It taught me that it didn't really matter where I worked or what I was working on. The thing that I loved was leading and helping people to be at their best. That mm. that was the thing. It was always it was always in those jobs. And and that was also the thing that helped me to be successful because it didn't really matter that I didn't really know about cloud computing or all these acronyms that were going on at Microsoft. Mm -hmm. What mattered is I could lead a team to help them be at their best and, and they knew that stuff. And, mm -hmm. and that seemed to be the thing that I enjoyed the most. And I think was the reason that I had the biggest, the biggest impact. I've got a lot of energy too. So I would say bringing the energy to the roles, but also helping people to their, be at their best was the thing that I learned was probably my most transferable talent across all those different places. Hmm. 
It's funny, actually, um, whenever we've had quite a few people on, on the podcast who have worked at P&G, and I know that they always gave such grounding. I'm picking on P&G because I have a sort of uh, love-hate because I, I think they're amazing. They're also one of our, our clients as well. So I, I just think they're incredible. But I was turned down from P&G after university. I applied to go and work there in marketing and didn't quite make the grade. And so there's, there's always this sense of like, oh, but obviously just sort of pulling out that sort of squiggly approach is, it wasn't meant to be, but you know, here I am now, and and they're a client. So, well, if it makes you if it makes you feel any better, I don't know whether this still bites years on from that moment, but if it makes you feel any better. When I was there, I was working in sales because that was kind of that point that I'd gone into, and I tried to get across to marketing, uh, and and I say get across because it did feel like I had to cross some chasm in that company to get there, and I didn't do it. Because it was quite, I found it at the time quite siloed. Maybe maybe they're a bit more squiggly now, but at the time it felt quite siloed and it was very difficult for me to get from one function to another. So I didn't get into marketing either in tomorrow. <laughs> so we've, I mean, if I, could, if I could high five you through the screen. <laughs> we'll join a little club. <laughs> exactly. You, you're both in great company. <laughs> Going even further backwards, if that's okay, Helen, I'd love to talk about what you were like as a kid you know did you have an idea then of the kind of thing you wanted to do I mean obviously maybe you wanted to to wear a suit like your mum did and drive, drive around and do sales but was there anything else that you wanted to do? I think I did have that urge quite early I remember I went to um, a friend's house when I was when I was at secondary school probably about like 12 or 13 and I went to her house and her stepfather owned quite a few uh, businesses in Lincolnshire I remember, I remember really distinctly because I think I felt so silly. That's why it sticks in my mind. And he said to me something like, you know, the typical adult child question. So what do you want to be when you're older? That kind of thing. And I said, oh, I want to work in business because I don't know. I just, I sort of had this idea that I did. And I didn't really know what that meant. But then he challenged me on it. I remember like, well, what kind of business? And I was like, just business <laughs> that this really senior and successful person was asking me this question and I was I just felt like oh gosh I just I, you know suddenly felt very small but actually uh, on reflection now I kind of think well actually that was an okay answer because what all I have done is work in business in lots of different industries quite broadly and if I pigeonholed myself and said oh, I want to be an accountant um at the age of 12 or 13 maybe that would have you know affected how I looked at my development but I just always had this this urge I used to have a little typewriter in my bedroom I used to set my Barbies up in an office like I'm properly geeky about work and I always have been (laughs) so um I don't think I've strayed too far from that 12 or 13 year old that was really like passionate about working in business I feel like there's a gap in the market I don't know if Barbie does do conference call Barbie or boardroom Barbie I'll endorse that range (laughs) (laughs) there's a gap in the market he's found it here first (laughs) Barbie does business. (laughs) Was there anyone in particular that you that you looked up to when you were little? You know, someone you knew, or it could have been a a public figure. I had. Oh, do you know what? It's a really nice question, Wendy. Actually, because when I when I was at school, I went to a girls' school in Sleaford in in Lincolnshire. I was invited back to actually recently to talk to, and up until the age of sixteen, I wasn't. Um, let's just say I wasn't a model child. I was quite naughty. I was quite <laughs> rebellious, and um, I had some like 
I don't know, some kind of epiphany when I was 16, uh, during the summer of 16. And I came back and I'd gone from like wild child, constantly getting in trouble. My mum probably despaired about what I was going to do. Um, <laughs> I had this summer of 16. I went and worked. I think, I, I don't know. I think I just rapidly grew up and I came back like some super geek. And I remember that there was a teacher Mrs. Jenkins, who I'm now allowed to call Valerie because I've recently reconnected with her, but at the time was Mrs. Jenkins. Does it feel weird though? I can't really struggle. Call me Val. And I was like, oh, Mrs. Jenkins. <laughs> <laughs> but Mrs. Jenkins taught business studies. So, and I'd never done back to the Helen likes business. I'd never done business studies. It wasn't on the curriculum before then. And Mrs. Jenkins was an accountant. So she had um, by profession. So she wasn't like a, a full-time teacher. She had worked in business and then decided to teach it. And I really looked up to her because it was so refreshing to see this adult who was from the real world like nothing against the other teachers there but they were from the school world you know they that's that was you know they'd been there for years and they taught the children the topic and that was it but she'd been an accountant in an actual company and I think I'd always wanted to connect with this world that was a bit bigger than the one that I was in I think and she represented that and I started really excelling I started to do really well in those classes. And I think that then helped me to do well. I was studying English law and business. And I think it just, it sort of snowballed from there. That when I saw that I could do well and I was doing topics and subjects that I enjoyed and could focus on that, you know, that was when I really started academically to fly and I hadn't done it at that point. And I, I think Valerie Jenkins and her just like sort of belief in me and her encouragement and my ability and they sent me on this kind of business program for a week where I got to meet lots of people from lots of other different schools and suddenly I just started to see this world that was a lot bigger than the one that I felt like I was in and that sort of fueled an ambition in me so I I owe I feel like I honestly owe quite a lot to that environment that she created for me and my ambition. Mm -hmm. That's lovely and and how about as as you've grown through adult, have there been other people who've influenced you or, or helped you along the way? I have been really fortunate to have some brilliant managers that I think have made a huge difference to me in my development. I've also had some bad ones, like, <laughs> which I won't mention, but you know, they're not, they're, they're we shan't main check, name check those. I won't, I won't. All the learning experience. <laughs> All learning, they probably know who they are. Um, but um, the, yeah, the, the people that have made a really big difference. So I mentioned Phil, uh, Phil when I was at Eon, for example, and also somebody called James, James Tipple when I was at Virgin. I find it interesting, actually, that it's men. I can't work out whether it was because I worked in places where there were more male managers or whether these two men were particularly good at sort of sponsoring a young woman. I don't, I don't know. Um, but they were definitely very, very important for me in my development. But I think when I look at well, what was what made them so good, why were they why were they so important to me? They both gave me a job that I had never done before. And they trusted me that I think they saw my ability before I had seen it for myself. So Phil right. gave me this a budget I'd never had and, you know, building this team from scratch um, and managing more people than I ever had before. And he, I, I often call him my manure manager because he, he put me in the manure in a nice way. Like he, you know, he really grew me. He gave me this opportunity. He surrounded me with support. He built my self-belief. He, he put me on programs like, like management programs. And I was the youngest there by far, but all he was like, all he said was, well, I, well, I believe you can, do you want to do it? Cause I believe you can do it. So if I believe it and you 
want it, like just go do it. Like what's the worst that can happen? And I think that just again it just fueled this ambition that I had in me and James was James was very similar at Virgin you know I got to launch a a new business for Virgin and he you know he trusted me to build that business and build the team and that that was brilliant I think managers that can instill that trust in people because they see their ability and then give them space to to sort of go after Mm -hmm. it is is a really a, a really special thing that you can do for someone's career and they definitely did that for me. And going back to you being a founder, Helen, what advice have you got for other people starting a company? Yeah, I think, you know, everyone's founder's journey is so different. And I and I think that people have a sort of almost like a different appetite for risk and a different appetite to be a founder. I didn't really have this entrepreneurial desire to start a business. Like I wanted to do something with my friend that could help people with their career development. And we had to register the company so that we could, I think there was some legal reason that we had to register it. Like we didn't think we're going to start a company and we're going to go on company's house. There was, I think we'd won some award with Shell Livewire, a thousand pounds. And they were like, we need a business account to put this into. It can't go into your and I was like quick set up a business account and it's one of those things and so I didn't really intend to start a company I just wanted to help people with their careers but in hindsight the advice that I would give because I think there's some really uh, like useful things about the journey that I have gone on is that because I did a side project first of all I worked out whether I really enjoyed it like was this something that was it something that looked good on the surface or something that I actually enjoyed doing because I think sometimes this stuff is communicated in quite a sort of sexy way and actually it's really hard work (laughs) you know (laughs) building your own website and doing your end of year returns and doing most of the stuff yourself until you can afford to employ other people who can do it probably better than you could anyway so it's really hard work so did I enjoy it was I good at it like where, where where was I good where did I have gaps I learned that pretty quickly as well did I enjoy who I was doing it with? So I co-founded and I knew Sarah as a friend and I knew that I, you know, thought she was absolutely amazing as a friend, but I never worked with her. But we spent sort of six, seven years working alongside each other, seeing what each other was better at than the other one and, and sort of, and supporting each other. And for me now, this is what I do full time. And now other people's careers in my company are dependent on how well we do. I am I feel much more confident in my ability to scale and sustain this business because of the way that it got found. It's on it's got really strong foundations because right. of the way that we built it and we didn't rush into it. And so some people might get investment and do this all very fast and that might be exactly the right journey for them, but mine was slower, but I think that we are in a really stable and sustainable position because of the way that we approached it. And can I dig in a little bit more about the dynamic of of co-founding with Sarah and and how that works and and also maybe about the culture that you're building as well? So Sarah had a nice dynamic. I feel really lucky because I don't know how you would find it if it wasn't founded on friendship. So there's there's a lot of knowledge about each other and there's a lot of trust and there's also a lot of difference. But the difference very rarely leads to disagreement occasionally it does because we've got the foundation of friendship and sort of trust and respect for each other so if I give you an example we so Sarah and I one of our values we talk quite a lot about values in our work one of our values is achievement both and we have the same value 
However, it means something slightly different to each other. So I achievement to me means lots of wins along the way. So I like, you know, a brilliant thing this week, something good this week that's happened. And I will focus on that. And by Friday, I'm like, brilliant, amazing, done, on to the next. Uh, and Sarah for achievement is, is bigger. So she likes one big win to work towards. So writing our next book, for example, would be the sort of thing that would fulfill Sarah's need for achievement. But what that can create sometimes is points of conflict where she'll be like, Helen, I need you to focus on this big thing we're trying to get done. And I'd be like, yeah, but I've got all these things I need to do because that's what achievement means to me. And we constantly have, it's just one example of where we come at things very differently. But because we know each other, we we kind of have that understanding. And I know that's just her and she knows that's just me. And we also we also leverage it really well. So if if some stuff really needs to get done this week, I'm the person who's got the energy to do that. And actually, if we need to focus on something that's a bit longer term, like how do we um, you know, grow our business in a different market or how do we you know, uh, develop a different area of our business and it's going to take longer term, then Sarah's sort of got the 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 focus really for that kind of work, whereas I will get easily distracted by, you know, things that need to be done. And so we we I think our dynamic is we're very different people, but we've worked out how to complement each other. And 99% of the time that doesn't lead to conflict because of the knowledge. And very occasionally it does. It's never nice when it does because neither of us like it. But I, it, it is also natural. Like I spend so much time with Sarah. I think it's pretty normal that at times you have that little bit of conflict. And and when we have had it, I think we have probably been better because of it. Because it, it's just led to a bit more understanding, really. Yeah. And I think that friendship and that openness is is so important. And I from from my experience, because I've, I've got, got the experience of having run the social element by myself with this uh, exceptional exec team but you know ultimately I started it by myself and I had the, the the wilderness years when there was no one really around and those were the toughest years and and you sort of grow as a person but I've also had the experience of co-founding Pompeo with Kate Hartley who's been one of our guests on on the podcast as well and in a similar way to you Helen actually I, there is so much trust with uh, Kate and I and there is a, a foundation of friendship and we know that even though we have quite a crossover of similar skills, we definitely have um, different skills as well. But we just had that agreement that if anything was on our mind uh, or we were unhappy about things, just talk about it. And I think you can get through so many things with with good communication. But having those those different roles and different skills, I think, really helps with with a co-founder relationship. Um, so this is going to be a, a bit more of a strategic question, I suppose, actually. How do you think the world of work will change over the next five years? Big, a big question. I think that what is going to happen is that people are going to increasingly have the power versus the kind of corporate entity. So obviously I'm I'm my bias is more towards career career development when I look at kind of the world of work. But what I see in in ladder-like careers that you know been around for a really long time the company kind of had all the power and the promise mm. was, you know, you show up, we'll promote you. 
And what's happening now, I think, is a leveling off of that power base, whereby because of the market and the employment market and because of the way that people can work now, you know, I don't just have to you know, live near a location where an office is based. I can kind of work any anywhere at any time, probably for anyone. I think that increasingly gives individuals a lot more a lot more power for who they work with and what they expect of their employers. And, you know, it's not this company for life thing. I mean, it hasn't been that for a while, but I think the sometimes society even when you wanted to leave you're like oh, I probably need to stick it out so it looks good on my cv i think that mm. is less and less the reality i think what's going to look good on your cv now is not the titles you've you've kind of held but the talents that you have and so if you've worked in lots of different places and you have become known for being you know super talented in one area then that that's the thing that's going to really really stand out and i and i think that's good i think it's brilliant yeah. that we level off this power dynamic and that ultimately people get to decide well, what do I want to be known for and what should I work on and where should I work so that that strength is it becomes stronger I think that makes companies sort of have to work harder to provide those opportunities and create the cultures where people want to what we call squiggle and stay like give people yeah. different opportunities in organizations create an environment that they don't want to leave because they have the power to do it now if, if that isn't working for them and um, so I that's what I see you know talents trumping titles people having more power and companies having to create environments where people can squiggle and stay but that that is something that i'm really looking forward to i think that's i think that's a better environment for career development definitely and what are you most proud of uh, either in or outside of work Oh, so I'm um, so many things. Probably um, on a personal level, and it's so easy to say this, isn't it? But I'm, I'm really proud of my children, and like increasingly proud. Actually, it's like really weird. Uh, like they're now eight and nearly and nearly six, and they are becoming special little people. I mean, they were for a while they were just really annoying. <laughs> <laughs> still at times are quite annoying but they were sort of these little dependent beings that were you know they didn't really have these distinct personalities but now they really do and I've started spending a bit more like one-on-one -on -one time with them so taking I took my daughter recently to see the Van Gogh exhibition in in London the kind of visual oh, the interactive one, one. yeah, yeah. And, and it was so uh, to be honest I went through it and I was like okay seen it done it let's go because I'm a bit like, get it done, move on. And and she wanted to sit and stay for ages and look at the pictures and ask questions. And so obviously I did. And I loved that that had unlocked curiosity in her and gave me a way to kind of communicate with her that I hadn't, I hadn't expected. Whereas my like little boy, Henry, he's eight and he like, he loves maths. Um, he loves maths and languages. So like last night we sat down for 20 minutes and did Duolingo Spanish together. El hombre. I can't remember what else we were doing in El Nino and all this kind of stuff last I'll night. I'll find you on there. I'm obsessed with Duolingo. I oh, love okay, it. Okay, Wendy, we could, we could, we could do a little three Spanish group, yeah. but, um, but it's, so, it's so nice. And I'm so, they are kind and thoughtful and funny and I want to and I'm I'm just proud of the little people that they're becoming and I feel quite a responsibility a massive responsibility to just help give them a, a safe space where they can just sort of you know be happy and become whoever whoever they're supposed to be and do you have a life mission um, I don't know I have a do you know I I do these things every year like I have words for the year and the ones that I wrote down this year I are probably as close as I might get to a life mission which is growth and good times like because I'm very driven by growth like personal growth business growth helping other people to grow so just as long as it's growing like I'm all good 
but I do quite like a good time. <laughs> like, yeah. I, like I like I like okay. a party. I like to be with friends. I like I like making fun memories, and I wouldn't want to, you know, be so. And I have had this in my career actually, actually, where the career stuff has been growing, but at the expense of the good times. I've not had that mm. space to just basically enjoy life, um, and so. If, you know, if there's growth and good times, then um, life's probably going pretty well. I feel like that should be on a T-shirt, actually. <laughs> I think so, too. Barbie can wear it when Barbie does business. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, talking about good times is a nice segue into the, the final section of the podcast where we just get a bit more personal. So we'll start with a good times question. Honestly, you two. <laughs> Even more personal. <laughs> What's your idea of a perfect weekend? Oh, well, this is a nice question. Right, so this is going to make me sound really boring, but I'm just going to go with it. It would start with a walk in the woods. So nice, nice walk in the woods. The trees actually live like in in a forest now. So that that'd be the first start. Go for a walk in the woods, and then it would with children, and we'd just be chatting. I find actually that that the reason I love that is because it gets them off their devices. So I actually get to yeah. see their little personalities without you know Wi-Fi getting in the way. So that would be yeah. the first thing. And then we would come home, and we would have friends over, and that would start pretty early. So we would have loads of food, loads of friends there'd be some wine and everyone would be chatting and those friends have probably got kids as well because what I've, what I've learned is that kids look after kids so they would be yeah, yeah. Yes. they would be somewhere else <laughs> present but looking after themselves and I would be with friends having a great time chatting and catching up and then on Sunday we would sort of get up in the morning everyone would have a slow start to the day and then probably honestly I'd get to do some this is so so kiki but some kind of like learning in the afternoon if I could have my perfect weekend I'm probably like reading a book on psychology or preparing for a podcast but basically I've got a moment like maybe when I say a moment like a good couple of hours on my own like deep diving into something that I'm really interested in doing so I would have like done the you know the healthy outside exercise with the family then had some fun with some friends and then I'd get to do some like learning that I love that that would tick all of my boxes sounds amazing it sounds anything but boring okay so next question if you were stranded on a desert island what's the one possession of yours you'd like to have with you I do quite like shoes, but I'm not sure how useful. It might not be much use. I'm not sure whether my heels are going to be that useful on a desert island. So I'm going to say something that I've rediscovered recently. Uh, It is one of my closest friends' 40th birthdays this weekend, and um, we're celebrating in Paris. And in in creating a present for her, I rediscovered some um, some diaries that we wrote to each other when we were 15. And I will hold them up to the camera, which I know that your listeners, because they're right by me for take with me. I will hold them up to the camera because. these are the diaries that we had from when we wrote to each other when we were 15. Oh, that's amazing. Oh, Wendy, these are a laugh out loud read. They are a a moment in time in your life where all you cared about was boys in school and how annoying your parents were and the fact that your best friend wasn't with you because I'd gone to Australia for five weeks and left her behind in Lincolnshire and it's angst. And so I would take these and I would sit on that beach and wait to be rescued and 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 have a little laugh at the things that we wrote to each other when we were 15. Oh, how lovely that you've still got those. For the benefit of our, our listeners as well, who can't see them, can I just shout out the attention to detail of those front covers as well? That is some serious like fonts and designs. I wish you were here with a picture of a cow on the back. I don't know why she did that. This is <laughs> I mean, I think maybe it's a Lincolnshire thing. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> now, just going back to Amazing If, is there, what's the one thing about running uh, Amazing If that you didn't expect or has maybe surprised you? I'm taking a pause because it's a really big question. The one thing that I didn't expect, 
The one thing that I didn't expect is how much we would grow through other people's advocacy. It's a, it's a funny thing, I suppose, but I, you know, because I think I worked in marketing and you grow, you grow, you grow a business by marketing a business. That's kind of you know what I learned. <laughs> and then what I have realized with my own business is that I don't have to spend money on social ads to grow my business. That doesn't, that doesn't work. I don't have to spend money on podcast ads to grow my business. What I have to do is spread the squiggly word because squiggly yeah. finds its community and then they do it for you. Like we, they take us into their companies. They post about us on social media. You know, we have a WhatsApp group of over a hundred squiggly career advocates who signed up to be part of a 12 month program to advocate for this stuff and so the thing that has surprised me I think has been that the power of community particularly as a marketeer when I would have thought about loads of strategic tactics to grow a business like I would know that stuff and I haven't done any of them <laughs> any of those stuff in my own company I've just found people who want to be part of this sort of squiggly thing that we are sharing with people because they believe in what we do and they want they want that world of work too and so that's probably been the thing like empower the community give them something to connect to and 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 support them and and they 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 grow they grow it for us i love it how would your friends describe you um the the organizer of things the the, 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 the maybe the relentless organizer of things i think <laughs> like, i have like about six different whatsapp groups going on at the same time there's quite a lot of crossover for who's in what where i'll be like right we're having this party here and we're going to this event and get this date in your diary and i think that sometimes it's probably a bit overwhelming but I just like, I like the good times. So I think they would probably say, yeah, the relentless organizer of things. And I hope they would say generous. I hope they would say generous, like generous with just, I just want to come, people come over and me feed them. That makes me happy. So I think Perfect. I'll organize the event. That's generous. I'll, yeah, so I'll get it all sorted. Just come and have fun. That's probably what they're I, th I think it's so relatable for me. I'm, I'm a fellow organizer at the moment uh, because I sing in this pop choir that, that you know natural voices and we're, we're all heading off to the Isle of Mull in in Scotland and I've been organizing the trip and booking the hotels and I love it and it's almost like um, and uh, my partner Emma sort of said you know I'm sure someone else has got some could, could help you out and this is not no you don't understand I like it I want to do it I so yeah I, I I feel you <laughs> okay karaoke changing the subject are you a karaoke fan? Do you have a, a go-to number? I'm not sure I should do karaoke. The last time I did karaoke, I went relatively recently, actually, a place in London, in London called Bunga Bunga. And I went, I went with one of my friends. It was one of the good times. And she decided that we should sing Never Forget by Take That, which, you know, everyone knows the never, that yeah. bit, that bit. So I was like, okay, mm -hmm. fine, whatever you want. And um, we were stood on a podium. It's a podium in the middle of a dance floor. It's quite a central point. And I realised that I actually... Never forget are the only words that I know of that song. Right. <laughs> and, and, and there's quite a few, like Gary Bolo, come so far. I know it now because I yeah. had this moment where I was like, I don't know any of the words. And I literally just chimed in with the never forget bit um, whilst a lot of people looked at me. So my, yeah, my recent experience of karaoke, I think, has put me off for life. <laughs> right I, I i would have it would have felt horribly compelled to do the there's a little choir boy bit at the beginning <laughs> and, and, and once you start I mean, you can do it if you want <laughs> maybe another time <laughs> <laughs> helen it's been such a treat to talk to you i we've we've covered a lot and i'm so grateful that you came on the podcast so thank you 
is there anything that you wish that we'd asked you that we didn't cover or have you got any closing thoughts that, well, first of all, thank you. Thank you. It's been a nice little trip around, around sort of memory lane a little bit, remembering Mrs. Jenkins, Val, uh, and lots of other <laughs> things as well. So thank you for that. I think just if anyone's listening and they would like some squiggly career support, then to know that we've got loads of free stuff for people. Like that's big democratizing development means making it accessible to everybody. So um, as well as a podcast on our website, which is amazingif.com, there is a free toolkit and there's, you know, there's the A to Z of squiggly careers. There's how to cage your confidence gremlins. There's a career canvas to help you think through your values and it's all free. So use it, share it, take it into your team meetings. That's, that's how we start to make careers better when people use this stuff and talk about it with other people you've been listening to genuine humans brought to you by the social element if you loved what you heard remember to subscribe or you can find out more at www.thesocialelement.agency 